He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Mark chapter 4, verse 27. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We are not supposed to worry about church growth. I really understand that that is what Jesus is telling us in the parable of this growing seed. That we are to stop worrying about the results of Christian witness. And by growth and results, I mean in both senses, whether growth and results in um, depth of maturity in the life of an individual believer or in sort of the quantity of people who gather in churches on a Sunday morning. We are not supposed to be worrying about it. Um, this message, not to worry, has not been well received in the American church, um, especially in the last 40 years, where in fact we've actually become obsessed with the how of growth. Books and conferences and celebrity pastors are constantly churning out content and telling the wider church that we all need to be super specific and strategic about the how of growth. And new tactics are devised and secular marketing strategies are employed, etc., etc. And the whole enterprise um, has created this sort of new looming anxious fear among committed churchgoers and vestry members and pastors. How are we going to grow? What are we going to do? How? How are we going to grow? And this anxiety leaks into the mindset of the church and governs decision-making badly. I confess that I myself had sort of had a sort of in some parts of my mind, in some aspects, this sort of occasional kind of um, anxiety-producing kind of corrosive effect, like, oh, how are we going to do this? But hearing the words of today's gospel and letting them sink in um, through the course of preparing for preaching this Sunday, um, sort of just bringing my own testimony to you in, in real time, um, I've decided in myself to kind of take a stand against that whole idea and just say no more. You can't make a seed grow. That's the whole lesson of the parable. You can't make a seed grow. All you can do is scatter the seed. And it says, then the earth produces by itself, the seed sprouts and grows, we know not how. <clears throat> Meaning, by interpretation, we bear witness to Jesus. Right? With our speech, when we talk about him, with our conduct, if our deeds um, um, present as being an imitation of the life of our Lord Jesus, we bear witness, and that is sowing seed. And of course, when you really think about it theologically, it's not even you sowing, right? Christ is always the sower, but Christ lives within you. It's what we were looking at in catechism class today, that when you are baptized and are um, united to Christ in his death and resurrection, he really and truly lives within you. So when you are speaking of him in a mysterious way, it's actually him speaking through you about himself. And it is vital that we sow these seeds of the gospel, that Christians do bear witness to who their master and savior is. God says in Colossians chapter 4 verse 6, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt. And the salt is the message of who God is in Christ Jesus reconciling us to himself. I love that. Seasoned with salt. Such a great picture that we're not supposed to be, um, uh, I'm trying to think, there's some movie that's coming to mind where someone makes like a voice recorder of themselves and like, 
Oh, that's, I really should have thought through that, what that is before. But anyways, it's not that we're supposed to just be these automatons like, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Savior, Je-, you know, no, seasoned with salt, right? Your conversation, seasoned with salt, professing Jesus as Savior. Having done that, if you've borne witness as a Christian should, you've sowed the seed. In the story, the parable, the farmer then sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises night and day. Right? The farmer isn't standing over the seed like, oh, when's it going to grow? He's praying for the harvest. You bet. Every farmer prays for the harvest. I assume. Scott, you were a farmer. Did you pray for the harvest? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing more that he can do. He can't make it sunny. He can't make it rain. He can't catalyze himself, the hormonal reaction that the seed in the seed that precipitates germination. He just waits, waits for God to do his work. And it's on God's time frame using the mysterious processes that God has created. Just as with the soil, it's the same thing with us. We just wait. We just wait for the Lord to do his work in the soil of the human heart. I, I just want to testify that I feel like I've been unburdened hearing this gospel message this week. Right? This, that we carry around as if we could make the seed grow, this anxiety of like, ah, oh, the seed, that the fruit isn't here yet. But no. The farmer sleeps and rises. He takes a nap. He knows the Lord's going to do his work in his good time. He's scattered his seed. He's fulfilled his stewardship. The rest is up to God. To wait and watch for months or years, as slowly as a stalk comes out, and the promise of grain to come. You know, this might be for the conversion of an unbeliever, that that first, the stalk symbolizing that first softening of the heart where they speak in a softer way, a gentler way about God rather than in a hard and oppositional way. And then eventually it leads um, to the desire, right? The ear, the desire to be found in Christ. Like, I think I want this. And then finally, the fruit of faith, which is the testimony of lips and deeds that correspond with that testimony. The full-grown grain of wheat. This could be a non-believer coming to faith in Christ for the first time. It could correspond to someone who professes Christ with their lips, like with, by name they're a Christian, but it, it, like finally the truth of the gospel sinks in and changes their life, what we would call converted to Christ. It may be a Christian, a particular Christian virtue or facet of the gospel that we're trying to instill in our kids, right? We can't force it to come out. We actually have to be praying and waiting for the Lord to do that work. Or it might be a close friend that we have who we kind of have a, a sense that there's an aspect of the gospel they really haven't gripped and be sort of scattering seed and then waiting for the growth to come. Whatever case, sort of whatever application of this parable, this metaphor of the parable, having scattered, all we can do is watch and wait when it comes to results. You can't make people believe the gospel. We can't force people to come to church. We can't make our wider culture more respectful of Christianity. All we can do is sow the seed and God will do the rest. We don't need to worry about growth. And so, um, especially, you know, I know many of you, I don't know if we have a few visitors here this morning, but many of you are very invested in sort of what's, 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 what's happening with Good Shepherd? Where are we going? And the answer is, it's up to God, right? Whether we're five people and I have to do some other work to pay my family bills, whether we're 50 people, whether we're 500 people, it's completely indifferent. And it would all be God's in either case. God gives the growth. If it seems like it's taking a long time 
for your non-Christian friend who you have planted the seed with to become a Christian, or your friend who is Christian but really in word only and their life is not changed by it, and you're like, why aren't they coming around? I encourage you to hear this gospel this morning, to rise and sleep and rise and sleep. God will give the growth. We know not how. You can't control the the growth process. Now, at this point, I was thinking, well, now, these days with farming, do we control the growth process? You know, we have all this sort of agri-tech and agribusiness and all these hormones and stuff. But I realized basically everything we have now, they had then. They had irrigation. They had fertilizer. I mean, they didn't know the chemistry names for, for all the same stuff. But, they, you can still, you, but you can still do all this stuff, but you can't actually make the seed grow. There's always these unknown variables. God himself is bringing the growth. We have an invitation in Mark 4 to stop worrying to let God do his work. Um, and this kind of comes around that just sort of dusted off the truth to me this week that um, being a Christian and being a, a Christian witness, it should be joyful, right? Not anxiety causing. And I think sometimes for me, the sort of burden of lost souls, of Christians whose lives are not conforming to their profession, it's like I've sort of taken it on and anxiety is... A, is um, it's to be distinguished from longing, right? St. Paul longed for the salvation of those he was ministering to, but he wasn't anxious. He wasn't hand-wringing. He trusted that God would do it. So I think this is helpful if we, when we conceive of ourselves as on the sower side of the parable. It's also helpful when we realize we're also on the soil side of the parable. Each of us we are ground on which the seed is sown. Every time you crack open the Bible, every time you hear a sermon, right, in person or a podcast or whatever, every time a friend of yours points you to Christ, seed is being sown on your heart. And the moment the seed is sown, our lives are instantly changed. <laughs> of course not, right? It takes time for us too, right? The seed takes time to grow. It takes time for the implanted word to come to full fruit. We are mysteries to ourselves, right? The, a human is a deep thing. There's a lot going on here that we don't even know about how it works. Just like there's a mystery in agriculture fundamentally. As long as we're not blocking the sun's rays by willful unrepentant sin, you actually can sort of pause the work of the Spirit, right, with willful, unrepentant sin. Right? I don't mean falling into sin and repenting. That's part of the Christian struggle. I mean saying, I don't even want to repent. I don't even want forgiveness for this. They're putting pause on the work of the Spirit, and in fact, over time it could be undone, right? As long as we're not doing that, God is actually operating us in us below our rational minds, in our hearts where He dwells. That in his mysterious way, there's actually subterranean work of the Spirit going on in the recesses of our souls. Thanks be to him. He is doing a work in our hearts. And the, the book you read last month, the sermon you heard last year, the encouraging word from a friend two years ago, those things didn't vanish in the ether. They're actually growing. The Spirit is watering them. And you, we are all of us becoming more thoroughly Christian in our life as our lips' profession of Christ um, is. Little by little, the seed of the word turns into Christ-honoring speech, Christ-honoring deeds, the fruit of faith, which is ultimately then harvested to the Father's glory. 
So the comfort here, similar with the sew with sewing, the comfort is that we can also have patience with ourselves. And this is to be distinguished from patience with sin. We're to be impatient with sin, but it's a classic case of love the sinner, even for ourselves, and hate the sin. We're not to brook quarter or make compromises with sin, but we can be patient in the struggle against sin. But God, you're doing a work in me, and it's a slow work because I've made a lot of missteps, and I've rebelled against you, and this soil is hard ground, but I know that you're doing work here, and I yield to your work, and I want more of it. Please, Lord, keep bringing the growth. And not for me, I found that when I fail, and by fail, I don't just mean, I mean actually when I sin. When I sin, I kind of have this impulse of hand-wringing, like, oh, how could I do this? How could I mess up? And I, it was really re illuminating to realize that that is pride, right? It's like, oh, how could, how could I sin? Because I'm a sinner? Because God's not finished with me yet? Because I need his mercy always? Right, to not hand me, but say, oh, Lord, of course I did this because I'm a sinner. And I need clearly for you to pull out more weeds, to till up more soil, to grow more of your good seed in my life. Have mercy on me. And, the, and God's work in this way works, we know not how, to quote the scriptures. So when it comes to all these um, controverted questions within systematic theology, which I know many of you are students of, um, you know, when it comes to sanctification, is it our will or his will or a synergy of our combined wills? Is it deeds that make the habit or habit that makes the deeds? Does head follow heart or heart follow head? All these questions, ultimately, we don't really know how it works. We just know that God is the one who gives the growth. And he's the harvester. And he gets the glory. And he's the sower in the beginning. The growth is slow day to day. I've never tried to... And most of you who know me know I'm the most embarrassing backyard gardener there is. Um, have any of you seen that picture of that pepper I grew that was like the size of a penny? It's supposed to be a bell pepper. Carrie's got it. It's that, that was my triumph as a gardener. Um, I ate that thing. It was horrible. <laughs> um, things grow way too slow for my patience. That's why I can never be a gardener. Because you go out there, I, you know, I'm like, like every day, like the first few days after planting, it's like, where is it? Where is it? Okay, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> Because the growth is imperceptible. It's too slow in the day-to-day. -day. But if you actually know anything about gardening, you can apparently, in theory, you can make things grow. <laughs> um, I'm grateful that the Lord is much more patient with us and that his growth really does come in the end. We do have food on our table. Obviously, God brings the growth. And when at last the sickle comes, which is always an image of death, right? The fruit is harvested. There will be grain in the ear. We can trust that there will be grain in the ear to God's glory. Amen.